This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, host of Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking. Join the conversation every Tuesday at 11 as we dissect issues that are important to you and your family. That's Relatively Speaking, Tuesdays only on MPB Think Radio. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. Our host is usually Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill, and today I would like to welcome Mississippi Bar General Counsel Adam Kilgore to the show to help me out. Hey, Adam. Hey, Liz. Good morning. It is very good to be with you. Uh, uh, Professor Gershon and I share a love for football, so I'm going to refer to myself today as the backup quarterback who's getting this, uh, <laughs> a, a rare start. Uh, very glad to be here with you. We certainly wish uh, the professor well, uh, and we've got another good show. Y'all do a wonderful job of getting guests and good topics today. Uh, we are happy to welcome Eric Brown to the show. Uh, he's general counsel for the Mississippi Department of Public Safety. Good morning, Mr. Brown. How are you today? Good morning. How's it going? Doing good. Well. We, uh, we appreciate you joining us. It's always good to have you on the show. Um, tell us a little bit about your background and work you do with the department. Sure. I mean, I, I tell my classes when I teach every year, nobody's really interested in your biography until they want to question what you're saying, and they're very interested in the biography, right? So um, when I say this, I just let people know I'm from Mississippi, grew up in Terry, the thriving metropolis of Terry, um, and I went to school at Mississippi College, then in Southern Miss for grad school, and then back to MC for law school, and I've been practicing law since I graduated uh, in 2008. I was a criminal defense lawyer for a good long while, uh, and I really enjoyed my time doing that. Tried a lot of cases, had a lot of good verdicts, worked with a lot of good people there. Um, And then I was approached by the Department of Public Safety in 2018, and I started working with them at that time and have been in this role of general counsel with the Department of Public Safety since that time. So we we uh, we share a fancy title, uh, although neither one of us calls are, are called general. I presume I certainly don't make my friends do that. No. Uh, when when someone asks you the role of a general counsel uh, in that office in the Department of Public mm-hmm. Safety, what would you tell them? Yeah, I tell them our job is primarily to keep things from happening. That's it. We we want we want things to not get bad in any way. We want to try to keep things at bay, and. The ways that we can do that is not just by being responsive, but by being proactive, right? By having training with employees and explaining to them, hey, here's what happens when someone comes in to get a driver's license with a disability. Or, hey, this is what we need to do when the troopers have an encounter with someone who may be um, uh, have issues with autism or something like that, right? So, you know, try to give that training that we need across the board because the Department of Public Safety has a lot of front-facing divisions. And by that, I mean they interact directly with the public. I don't mean that they set things up and we might see you. I mean, those employees are literally working with those um, you know, those citizens and residents all, all the time. And it strikes me that uh, your department uh, has has some diverse areas that are covered. I, I think our, some of our listeners would be surprised at the combination of things that, that fall under the uh, umbrella of the Department of Public Safety. Uh, so we, we, we certainly know, I'm sure we'll have a driver's license mm-hmm. conversation mm-hmm. at some point the, uh, over this hour. Uh, but tell me about other things that fall in the jurisdiction of your office. Yeah, There's have, a lot. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the puzzle pieces are large, and, and some are small, and some are different. But these puzzle pieces fit together just right. And when they fit together just right, 
you can kind of see, like, okay, this is the way they think they're supposed to work. All right. So generally what people think about, I would say, with the Department of Public Safety is the Mississippi Highway Patrol. Everybody knows that. They've seen the cars going up and down the road. They may have been ticketed by someone. So they know MHP. So we've got the Mississippi Highway Patrol. We have, obviously, the Mississippi Bureau of Investigation. And that's obviously on the on the back side of things, not really on the enforcement side. They're more in investigations, obviously, as their name tells you that. But uh, we have the Commercial Transportation Enforcement Division. Uh, they formerly used to be a division of the Department of Transportation. And the legislature said, hey, we want you to take care of them, too. Uh, hey, let's put more law enforcement under the same umbrella. And with that, we also have the Capitol Police. And the Capitol Police is uh, – They've got a lot to work with right now, and they're working hard, and things are looking better in the efforts they've been making. And it's fun to be a part of something that hasn't quite hit its stride yet, uh, and that's kind of how we feel with what's going on with Capitol Police. And so I, I, I see we also have, uh, uh, as part of Department of Public Safety, a crime lab. Oh, sure. Look, I, mean, they, I just gave you the enforcement side of things, right. right? So we have public safety planning that deals with all of our grants and issues like that. We deal with it on a state level. Um, we have, obviously, the crime lab, uh, the Mississippi Forensics Laboratory, as it's technically referred to. And within the Mississippi Forensics Laboratory, we have the division of the crime lab and then the state medical examiner's office. Uh, so that, that's one side that people don't really see because it's out there in Pearl. Uh, but it's a, it's a fascinating facility with good people that work there. Uh, that are work there. They stay busy. I mean, there's a lot going on that you wouldn't even. You think hear about. about it when it mm-hmm. makes the news. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's what it's, it's like I say to everybody about driver's licenses. No one ever cares about their license until it's expired or suspended. Then all of a sudden, it's the most important thing in the world, and that's it. So, uh, yeah, but we also have within. Uh, the Department of Public Safety, we have the Sex Offender Registry, uh, which I know that you know, has its own connotations with the name. Uh, and but nobody it's very cares important. about it till they go <laughs> to look right. up their address. That's right. right. That's right. But it is a public safety aspect, right? So I try to remind people generally that our divisions are to serve the public. And if you really think about what's going on with each one of them, it is a public safety aspect, right? It's important to know when you move into a neighborhood who's living around you. And Does your you department have anything to do with, uh, like, the, the the radius where the marijuana dispensaries can be within a school or a yeah, whatever? We don't regulate that part. Okay. Uh, we do help in whatever ways with enforcement on the side of things, but that's more of a Department of Health issue. And the, and the Department of Revenue, obviously, has been part. Those, those guys and, and women, too, that work for ABC have been instrumental in helping get that off the ground. You know, like, I, I try to tell people every now and then when it, when it comes up, Hey, you know, alcohol is a legal substance, but it is regulated, right? So with medical cannabis now, it's, it's, a, it's, it's legal if it's regulated, right? It's to be done right. So those people are, are uniquely situated to know how to handle that substance because it's something they've kind of dealt with for long, the longest time. We just don't think of it in those terms. You were just speaking a minute ago. I, I, don't, I don't want to make you repeat yourself, it's but okay. I, I think I was a little interested. Uh, you, you were saying earlier, uh, I, I felt uh, uh, that we – you were talking about the different services – that seem a bit disparate that are mm-hmm. provided, but now that you're in this mm-hmm. role and you've been doing it for a while, um, are you starting to see how the, the connectivity sure. is? Yeah. What's this connective tissue? I understand mm-hmm. it's services, but is mm-hmm. is there anything else that kind of makes it make sense for these unique things to be housed together? Right. So across the board, I mean, we have a smorgasbord of, of different divisions, if you, and you, you don't really think about all of them in that context. But when you're there and you see it, you can kind of tell that the whole idea is really about – making sure the public is aware of certain things. And a lot of times they're not. You know, the, the, there might be a misconception out there of what someone thinks 
uh, versus what the actual reality is. So we try to get into this in this uh, frame of mind where if we can assist the public as much as possible through education and through awareness of things that are happening, that's really what it's about. If you think about it from a, a really a fundamental standpoint, it's about awareness and bringing people an understanding like, hey, when the law enforcement officer pulls you over on the side of the road, they're not mad at you at that moment. It's really okay to you know they're going to talk to you about what happened and they're going to need your license and hey, I know you may have gotten your you know, law degree from YouTube, but you do have to give your license to a law enforcement officer when they ask for it. That is a state law. It has been like that for the longest time. But we have people that have been, they've watched Facebook, or and I don't know why people do this, but they do. Um, I would burn the Facebook to the ground if I had the, you know, <laughs> an option that's not given to me. I've just never heard many people say, I'm really happy I spent all this time on Facebook. I just haven't heard that come out. But when they get these mis- misinformation, they apply it in their day-to-day lives, and then they get mad that it doesn't work out. And I'm like, well, maybe we should have paid attention in the history class, you know, or something else like that. Maybe not not gotten our information in, in nuggets uh, from a disreputable source, or excuse me, unreputable source. Well, Be Eric, watching for my friend request. Yeah, yeah, uh, well, I'm not on there, so it's okay. <laughs> we may have to have you on just for a whole show on what a uh, sovereign citizen can and cannot Ooh, do on yeah. on traffic stops. Yeah, I have a fun time getting those letters in the mail where it's clear that they have just copied and pasted something from the Internet, and they believe that it now has this legal perspective that we've never seen before and it's really kind of difficult to navigate within but we've seen them before this is in legal terms not everybody has a chance to listen to our show live so if you've missed any of our program you can listen to the whole show from our website in legal Org. Our host is usually Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. So have you thought about a career in law enforcement? Well, In Legal Terms did a show with the director of the training from the North Mississippi Law Enforcement Training Center. You can find that podcast from December 21st, 2021 on our website or on any podcasting platform. We are talking about the Mississippi Department of Public Safety with our guest, Eric Brown, and my co-host for today is Adam Kilgore from Mississippi Bar. Now, do you say, I've heard this so many times, is it the Mississippi Bar? Do you say association? What's the the words? The, The words are the, with a capital T, Mississippi Bar, uh, people refer to us as a bar association, but it's from a title standpoint, okay. we are the Mississippi Bar. Excellent. Uh, and uh, it, it is fun to see how that changes over uh, various letters and correspondence <laughs> that, I, that I receive. Um, and uh, things are going well at the bar. We're excited this uh, this particular week. We are in the high school mock trial competition season, uh, and the uh, regional will be taking place here in Jackson this weekend. If you are a licensed Mississippi attorney and you're listening and would like to help judge, please contact the Mississippi Bar. Uh, Chad Phillips is, is in charge of that program, uh, and it is a wonderful experience. I will be there myself on Saturday. Um, and as our guest, Eric Brown, who's also been involved in, in these types of things, can, can attest, it is truly impressive to see high school students who have not spent a day in law school 
to come in and present themselves, and they do great work. And I've heard multiple judges say they wish that they had lawyers coming before them as prepared as these uh, high school students can be. So uh, we're proud to be part of that. And, Eric, I, th- I think you've been involved in it in some form before. Yeah, my friends are going to love this part, talking about mock trial on the radio. They're going to make fun of me for days. <laughs> they just go. think that's all I'll talk about anyway. But, um, yeah, I've been teaching mock trial at, the Miss- at Mississippi College since 2004. Uh, I competed as a student too, and got. That's how you get the fire lit, so to speak. Of like, hey, I want to be an advocate. I mean, I say this a lot, and I don't know if you agree, but we got enough lawyers. We need more advocates. You know, we really need people that'll step up and say, hey, I'm going to take this position for my client, and I'm going to advance it in this way. And yeah, I think you really learn to do that through mock trial. You really understand the idea of, hey, I can be persuasive. And if I'm not being persuasive, I'm wasting everybody's time. So I think it's a really good. I think it really prepares good. you well for radio, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have a link on our podcast page uh, with that information. So this weekend, and, you know, there's nothing going on this weekend. There's no football. So, no, fo- no uh, <laughs> unless you like the Pro Bowl skills competition, which uh, I, I'm going to probably set that one. Well, up. and you can watch clips of that on Facebook. <laughs> yes, we can. Uh, I'll, I'll watch uh, uh, multimillionaires play dodgeball. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Um, no, with the mock trial thing, I'll just say this and, and be done with this topic. Look, we, we host the uh, regional for the American Mock Trial Association at the Mississippi College School of Law. That's in three weeks, uh, three weeks from this past week. Um, I took a team to the Mississippi University for Women this past weekend, and they won. So I just want to plug them for a minute. They did a great job. Three of our students won individual awards, and they were very excited. Uh, to visit Columbus and come back with some hardware. So it's nice. And meanwhile, the Mississippi College's uh, School of Law is hosting this weekend uh, for right. the regional. Yeah. Very uh, helpful. For mock trial. So there we go. We, mm-hmm. It all went f- full circle, this. So that's if you're interested in being a lawyer. Um, but, Eric, tell us about if people are interested in having a career in law enforcement. What does uh, what, what do you know about that? Sure. I'll, I'll say this first, that I think it's a very interesting decision that a person would make to decide to want to have that type of authority over another person, right? So it's a very important decision to make. It's not something that should be taken lightly. It's not like, hey, I like shooting guns, so I should go be in law enforcement. Like, if you're going to take the position that the Constitution of Mississippi and the statutes provide the authority that law enforcement officers have, it's a serious decision. So it's not something that should come out lightly. So I like to tell people that on the front end. Look, in a perfect society, I would, we, we'd better pick people out, say, hey, you would be good at law enforcement. Come with us, Right. It really doesn't work that way, so we kind of take what we get sometimes. But sometimes you get people that apply, and they're not set up for it, right? I mean, we had 74 cadet people sign up for this cadet class that's that's going on right now. They want to be members of the Highway Patrol. They just started a week and a half ago and already down to 47, right? So that's the way it works, though. It's not for everybody. We want – and I hate to say it this way, but we, we want them to want it. We want them to do the work that it takes to understand the discipline that it provides because the law enforcement officers have a very difficult position where they have to be good at a lot of different things, right? They've got to be counselors. They've got to learn how to be constitutional scholars on the side of the road. They've got to understand how to do public speaking from on the side of the road to when it comes to testifying in court, right? So if you're interested in stuff like that, the first thing I'd say is read a book. And that sounds crazy, but, like, we need people that know how to write that become law enforcement officers. It's very important. Report writing is the, one of the most important things that you can do. So if you're thinking about going to law enforcement, while it's good to be able to do a bunch of push-ups and it's great to be able to shoot and everything else, read a book, please, you know, and, and, and start getting that, that brain working in that way so that when it comes time to make that analytical decision on the side of the road or with, an, with, a, with a violator, 
you've you've done that. You've done the work before you get to that point. So I just think it's a very, very important. I say that with you know law enforcement members in my family, right? So I just think it's a very important decision that those need to make and that they're doing it for the right decision, for the right reasons. And you've taught some classes at, at the training center. What are some of the classes that you've mm-hmm. taught and what are the other types sure. of training that our future highway sure. department officials will get? Right. Well, the cadet class that started now, uh, I just went in last week and taught them an introduction to basically terminology. Uh, we we want to get them speaking in those terms and understanding what those words mean. You know, the general public says things that sometimes where they think it means a certain thing and it doesn't mean that at all. So we want to make sure on the front end we're getting them in the right terminology. That matters a lot. Uh, but we teach a constitutional law course, 16 hours of – and most of these classes are about 16 hours where they get a real – good understanding of how things work with Fourth Amendment issues that they're presented on the side of the road, Fourth Amendment issues when they take somebody to jail, things like that. We do a class in state statutes where they they become well-versed in Title 97 all day long, every day. And they also do a, we have a, a class uh, called Rules of the Road, which is Title 63 that deals with almost everything with traffic issues, you know, how to how to spot these issues and what the law actually says about those things. So we also do a public speaking class where we get them up, Make them uncomfortable and make them feel this is, you know, you got to learn to do this because every encounter with the public is an example of public speaking. Okay, two questions. Mm-hmm. What's the Fourth Amendment? Yeah, the Fourth Amendment. <laughs> yeah. So the Constitution <laughs> provides that the government shall not have uh, any unreasonable searches and seizures. Oh, well, right? that's so, important. So it, it provides people that. It, it goes a little bit further in other issues. Like, but um, And I don't pretend to be a constitutional law scholar, but I do know enough about it to – be well-versed in, in that context, right? So I mean, you're, when you're teaching law enforcement, I think what people think a lot of times is, hey, they can't search for you. They have a warrant. There's a lot of exceptions. Well, that's what they do on TV. Yeah, there's a lot of exceptions. In fact, most searches are without a warrant because of all the exceptions that apply. And what's Title 97? Yeah, I'm sorry. There's that in the criminal code, uh, they're all broken up by title, chapter, and section. And Title 97 deals with the actual substantive criminal law where Title 99 deals with the procedural aspect of criminal law. So let, I want to take it back. Uh, sure. I, I love the term you used, uh, roadside constitutional scholars, and what I think you said. That, that, that is, that is a, a really nice, tight set of uh, words there that, that covers a lot. Uh, let's take it back to uh, something you mentioned last segment uh, related to uh, members of the public. You, you get pulled over, mm-hmm. and uh, you were talking about the obligation to provide your license. Uh, to say that we are in heightened times is a bit of an understatement. Mm -hmm. Uh, And unfortunately, we have examples of video where, in general across the country, Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about Mississippi per se, where that roadside interaction has not gone well, Mm -hmm. even though the driver may well have been cooperative and polite. What I would assume that's a big barrier to overcome, but from a public citizen getting pulled over what what do you what do you recommend? I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is take a deep breath, because mm-hmm. um, I I think everybody's scared. I mean, even if you know, even if you didn't cheat on the test, if you get called to the office mm-hmm. about cheating on the test, you're scared because you may be a, right. found to have cheated on the test. So, yeah. what what do, what do you encourage uh, people to do when when they're pulled over? Yeah. So, I mean, the easiest thing to do, obviously, is you know, don't make any furtive movements. I mean, that's whether it be silly. There's no reason to jump around and start getting in the glove box and everything else, just put your hands on the wheel and they're going to come talk to you, right? They're going to come out. They're going to see what's going on. And generally speaking, they're going to ask you immediately for your driver's license and proof of insurance. That's just what happens, right? So 
First thing I tell everybody is make sure you got the updated proof of insurance in your car. Most people don't. They are, and, and they may not have it. They may be having their phone, but then when they pull it up on their phone, it's expired, and now they got to call the insurance agent, and it just kind of makes things last a lot longer. So just go ahead and make sure you've got those documents there. Um, so, you know, when they ask for it, you got to give it to them, right? They got to know who they're dealing with. In Mississippi, if you're going to put yourself in the driver's seat and you're going to drive the vehicle, the statute says that anyone from a law enforcement officer to a justice of the peace to a judge can ask the person for their credential to make sure that they're a validly licensed driver. That's a public safety aspect. We don't need to be having people driving that don't have licenses, right? I mean, that's a, there's a reason for that. Um, so that's the first thing I'd say is just give them that part because they've got to be able to identify who they're dealing with in that moment, right? Um, and the other thing is don't try to have court on the side of the road, right? So you're going to have a time where you're going to get to go to court. You know, everyone's provided that. I don't care if it's a citation or you're getting arrested for something major, you're going to have a moment before the court where that judge is going to listen to what happened and then make a determination of what needs to happen next. It's not a good idea to start yelling from the car to the law enforcement officer while they're on the side of the interstate where they can't hear what you're saying and then say, well, they were being unreasonable with me. You know, well, let's just get through what we're doing and you can go to court and do what you need to do, right? And you don't have to have lawyers for all those things. Sometimes you can come and show up and plead your case in justice courts all day long every day and explain to the judges what happened. And those judges aren't required to be lawyers. So a lot of times they're not, and they're going to take a very normal approach to what happened and try to listen to your case. So I would just say there's the biggest thing would be try not to argue on the side of the road. I understand you might be upset. Maybe they got the wrong red car, right? Well, then make sure you let the court know that when you show up and, and, and see what happens with that. So that's, well, I, I don't have a deep history of getting pulled over, but uh-huh. when I do get pulled over, I'm, I'm striving to be uncharacteristically uh, pleasant <laughs> because in most instances they're pulling over. So if the window goes down, officer, I am so sorry you had to pull me over for whatever s- stupid thing I did. Yeah. I had the radio on too loud. The song was great. What I do. <laughs> um, and, you know, that can, that can uh, de-escalate uh, yeah. to the extent any de-escalation needs to take place. But uh, I don't know that that works for everybody. Well, and as what you said, uh, Adam, social media is full of the the videos of things that have gone wrong. And, you know, as a as a driver, I don't want this officer to mistake me as anything mm-hmm. but the most pleasant individual he will meet that day. But then sometimes mm-hmm. I also go into mama bear and I worry for that officer because they're pulling over someone. They don't know what the situation is. And uh, bless their heart for putting themselves out as a public servant well, to, and, to help an individual. And, and to make sure we're, we're covering all sides and, again, mm-hmm. all, all respect mm-hmm. everybody involved, we, we also uh, uh, live different lives. And there are some people that have lived an experience that, that sure. involves – getting pulled over more mm-hmm. um, and and what that brings and what those blue lights mean can mean even more, which takes me back to, I think, what we kind of started with. It's like, deep breath, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Let's, you know, not navigate in fear here uh, on on the pullover. But it, it, it's, it's, it's the moment, Eric. Right. It strikes me as the moment that That's can right. be decisive in a lot of ways on how things are going to go. So mm-hmm. the, the public... Having what they need mm-hmm. and responding a, a, accordingly mm-hmm. is it sounds like a yeah, a and, good path. and we're we're all just a sum of our experiences to that point, right? So, of course, everyone's experiences are going to be differently based on where you grew up, where you were, who was working in that that department, obviously. And I understand there's going to be people that don't do the job correctly. I mean, just like when I worked at McDonald's as a kid, not everybody worked as hard as everybody else, right? I get it; those things those things happen, but that's that's going to be representative in any 
employment, no matter where you are, there's going to be, you know, 80% of the workforce is going to be doing their job, right? That just what they, that's all the time. Then 10% are going to be amazing. And that bottom 10% are just not, this is going to be a problem, right? No matter where, I don't care if you're at Walmart or you're at McDonald's or you're in, in law enforcement, the problem is trying to make sure we identify those that need that help and train them appropriately so we don't have those issues that come up that the public has seen on YouTube or that have seen on Facebook. The reality is every officer that's working a regular shift is going to have probably a dozen interactions every shift with the general public, right? It only takes one bad one before everyone says, look at that guy. They see how he did that or look at, look at her, how she handled that moment. So there's a lot of, a lot of opportunities to make a mistake. We're trying to do what we can to minimize those mistakes as much as possible. And those officers truly have no idea what's coming at them that day. Yeah, that's, that's probably one of the scariest things of the job. You don't know what you're walking in on. I mean, yeah, you can see the car in front of you. You have no idea what's going on, right? No clue. So I, you know, I, I say all the time when I'm teaching, look, I've never worn the badge, never driven the car. Don't do that. That's not my job. I'm going to stay in my lane. And my lane is to give you what you need to do it the best way you can. And that and that is to educate you as much as possible to give you every, all the tools you need to have you know, safe interactions with the public. And for the public side of things, I think the idea that we, we have to keep in mind is the officer's not mad at you in that moment. You know, It might seem like that because you got pulled over. They don't know anything about you at that time, right? So they're just, they just know somebody's driving too fast or you didn't stop at the stop sign or you shifted lanes and you were driving recklessly or, hey, you were on your phone. And while that's not a crime – we're going to talk to you about, hey, how careless that is and how at times that can you know, turn into other issues, right? So, Or they're saying, hey, your tag's expired, which we're all, <laughs> that's going to happen, right? So um, they, they don't have – I think the general public needs to have a good understanding of that you're not being singled out in a vehicle. You know, just, if you're driving like that, it's going to happen, right? So I don't know. We could all slow down. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is usually our expert host. I'm Liz Gill. We do hope you'll subscribe to our podcast, or you can find MPB Think Radio recordings on the website mpbonline.org slash radio. So what's up with our Mississippi legislature? You can find out. The next season of the MPB News Program at Issue will be starting Friday, February 9th at 6.30 on MPB Think Radio. There will be additional content on our YouTube channel. So while you're on YouTube, go ahead and go to uh, uh, MPB Think Radio's account. Ooh, I'm not sure. Ooh, I don't know if it's on Think Radio or News. We'll have to find that out. Anyway, that's February 9th. Michael Guidry from MPB News will be joined by Republican Austin Barber and Democrat Brandon Jones for weekly recaps and roundtable discussions about current issues. Will Stribling is the state capital as MPB News's legislative reporter. We're talking about the Mississippi Department of Public Safety with our guest, Eric Brown, and my co-host, Adam Kilgore, from Mississippi Bar. Okay, Eric, we did get an email. Uh, someone is asking, is there a way that citizens can sign up for notifications when a registered offender moves near them? There is. So first I want to say we have a, a wonderful division of the Criminal Information Center, uh, which is the Mississippi Sex Offender Registry. Um, Megan Costello is our director, and she's done a great job uh, of, of putting things together. Um, it's one of those things you have to be passionate about. I mean, I don't know that many people sit around and say, like, I would like to deal 
with registered sex offenders all day, every day. And let me see what I can do to help out with those ways. But she has done a phenomenal job of getting the public going out there to schools, going out there to conferences and making sure that people know what what's going on with it. Right. But there is a way. So you can actually go. Uh, if you're if you want to sign up for a community notification email, you can go to the Mississippi Sex Offender Registry a public website, and that is state.sor.dps.ms.gov. And in that website, you can actually sign up and say, hey, I want to know what's going on. I'm going to register this address. I need to know if somebody moves in a certain radius of this place so I can kind of know what's going on, right? Uh, that website is helpful. If you're going to purchase a house and you haven't been on that website – you're not doing Ooh, what you should be doing, right? It's a good idea to know what's going on, right? You, and then you can type in an address, and you can see that circle will pop up, and it'll show you what's what's happening. Most people are alarmed when they see that, and they don't know. <laughs> uh, but it's not a way to scare people. It's just a way of to, you to understand, hey, this person's had a past doing something that, that places them on the re- on the registry. doesn't mean that you're at any risk more than anyone else. It could be, obviously, but you need to be aware. So it's really about the awareness of knowing who you're around, right? So I, mean, I just think nowadays, you know, we got – well, when I was a kid especially, you just go in somebody's house when you're in the neighborhood, right? Didn't think about it at all, which is part of what you do, um, and you're playing in the neighborhood. But you want to know who's living around you, right, just to get an idea. Let's go to the phones, and we got Jackie from Past Christian on the line. Jackie, we're so glad you've called in, too, in legal terms. What's your comment or question? Um, I just had a question about, um, I know that there's some verbiage, and I don't have the law in front of me, that talks about how close a sex offender, a registered sex offender, can live um, to a park, um, or it, I think the law says something about any place in which minor children will congregate, um, and how that pertains to a neighborhood pool. Well, that's a good question. So there's a, there's a lot of factors that we want to know about, obviously, like, you know, how uh, who was there first? You know, like, in other words, like, was was the house there before the pool was erected or the pool, was it already there and then somebody moved in? Um, look, generally the rule of thumb, though, is that on those issues that, especially when it comes to schools, people ask that a lot about that. Like, you know, three, you can't live within 3,000 feet of a school. That's just it, right? Um, but there's this misunderstanding that you can't live within 3,000 feet of a, of a church, that's not the case at all, right? So it's really about uh, the schools more than that. But, yes, there is a provision there about the parks, uh, obviously. Um, what I say to those questions that are specific in that way, I don't want to say right now that, hey, you can't live in this spot. What I would say is you want to make sure that you talk to the deputy sheriff that's in your county and make sure that they know what's going on. And they can come out there and they can literally measure how far away this person is from where they are. And they can make a determination of whether that that public place fits the parameters of what you're asking about, right? So um, also, if, if, if you'd like, I don't mind, you know, if you want to email me specifics about what's there, I can get that to our sex offender registry director to, to give you what you need. Uh, but without knowing those certain things like, hey, was, were, was the person that lived there there first before the pool, public pool was, was built? Or there was a public pool built first and then the person moved in afterwards? Sometimes you have an issue like that where it, you get a little bit more allowances on those. Is there a, a, a – I understand these things are individualized, mm-hmm. but from a sex regist- – a registered sex offender, 
is there an expiration date? Do you ever roll off? Do you have to stay on, stay on for a certain time? Is that individualized yep. based upon the cases? It's a great, great question. So we have uh, different levels of tiers that the person has to register on. So obviously the most heinous and, and, and uh, it's all built by the crime. So it's all by the state legislature. So there's no discretion in it from the department. We have to follow the laws the way it's written or petition our legislators to change it because if you don't like it, right? But generally, though, if there's a there's there's lifetime registry, there's those that can come off after 25 years, and those who can come off after 10 years, right? It just depends on what they what what tier they fall in, and those are specific to the crimes that are there. But they don't just a person doesn't just automatically fall off the registry. If they've served, done their time on that registry and they and it's time to come off of it, they have to petition the court so that everyone's aware. And then from there, you get that circuit court judge to take a look at what's going on and have those parties, and you have that public hearing so that everybody knows what's going on. We don't want these things to happen you know, under the cover of night. We want people to be aware of what's happening. So that petition would have to be filed and, and dealt with appropriately. Jackie, did you get your question answered? Um, yeah, I'll take his email information, and I'll um, give him the, the, um, the details and just let him answer um, via email if that's okay. Eric, do you want to give that out, or you sure. need to put it I, on your? I do what? not mind at all. Look, okay. it's a government email address. So it's not mine. That's what I talk about all the time. It's fine. So, okay. uh, my name is Michael Eric Brown. I say that because my email address looks ridiculous. It's it's M E Brown. So me Brown at dps dot ms dot gov. V no, no DPS like Department of Public Safety. So it's oh, me Brown at D, dps dot ms dot gov. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Jackie. And we'll have that information on this show's web page. So is uh, real quick, is there a, a little bit more we need to know about the uh, sex offender registry for Mississippi? Sure. I mean, there's there's a lot to talk about with it. But, you know, <laughs> I just need people to realize that it there are reasons to go on the registry that you wouldn't you might not think about. Uh, on the front end, you might not, you know, everything we think of the worst types of cases that would put someone on there, you know, but sometimes, you know, uh, sending a picture to somebody else that shouldn't be sent to somebody else could place someone on there in the right, in the wrong context, right? So you got to be really careful with this, especially with youth, the youth out there, you know, you got to be careful. If you go, if you're sent, you're sharing things on these phones back and forth amongst your friends, you, know, you get yourself in youth court, be adjudicated delinquent, and before you know it, have to register on some of these issues. So it's very difficult. So we've got 13,449 people registered sex offenders within the state. And that sounds alarming when you hear the number at first, but it's not as bad as it sounds. We've got about 1,200 of those that are incarcerated. So even a person that's going to be in prison that's required to register still has to be on the registry, right? So we make sure we keep up with them. We want to make sure that when they do are released – that they're following the rules and we don't we don't we don't lose anybody from there, right? So, um, but that thirteen thousand though is is not exactly those that all live here. Some of those offenders are out of state, but had some relationship with the state where they worked here for a while. So we've got about eleven hundred or so of those that are out out of the state that worked here for a, a moment of time. But we still got to put them on there though because we want people to know. That's the place they worked, so be careful when you go to this place. Be aware of what's going on, right? Um, and uh, we've got some that we believe that, to be quite honest with you, uh, have passed away, but we don't have proof that they've passed away. Um, we've got to have a actual certificate of death that shows that before we make the decision to pull someone off of there. Uh, we've got those cases where we believe that's the case, but we have to work with, obviously, the records to get what we need to get them off of there. All right. Hey, Brother Daniel from Pascagoula, what have you got to say? Welcome to In Legal Terms. Oh, yes. Uh, 
good morning, good morning, good morning, Mississippi. Uh, this is the Mississippi I'm hoping for. Um, I wanted to say, I want to give a thumbs up to uh, my Pasadena law enforcement because they deal with a lot, not just crime, but they also become counselors. We're in a time now, I did peace officer about five, ten years, and you're at a time now where it's not just, you, you got to be a father, a mother, a counselor, a cop, all like the days of Adam 12. I know everybody used to see Adam 12 and Dragnet and for them us young older folks, but we're, we're at a time now where a lot of our politicians have got us in a fear frenzy. And we're not concentrating on the things that need to be done for our families and our children. I want us to understand, like what this man is telling you, you pass this along, but pass along with a grain of salt and to understand. We, we want to try to help one another, those that have made changes in their lives and those that are, we, we want to avoid them to be in that situation. So what I'm, what I wanted to say was, I want to thank you. I want to thank Pastor of PD for doing the way they're doing. I'm hoping in the in the state of Mississippi, we become more counselors and more, more uh, uh, then and cops like Big Brothers. You remember PAL? See, I grew up in New York. We had PAL. We had Police Athletic League. I wish we had that in Mississippi. You know, these are things that we need to get more involved with our children and parents as well as a couple other things. But I, I want to thank you for giving this information. I wish we can get this on prime time. I wish people can encourage this information, knowing the law. Please, everybody, don't get caught up in YouTube. Don't get caught up in Facebook. Get caught up in your family. Get caught up with your public safety people, your politicians, and to the politicians, Democrats and Republicans. We are one state. We are one country. We are under the word, and not to get too religious on some, Jesus. And that means love thy neighbor to love thyself. Thou shalt not what? Kill. Let us focus on these things. Let us work together and stop all this hate. Let's not get caught up in this politician stuff. Listen to the public safety, lawyer, bar. If you have a problem, call them. Have your family get to understand the laws so we can work with our police officers and become one family in the Magnolia. That's all I wanted to say. Oh, Brother Daniel, we always appreciate you and uh, are happy when you uh, participate and give us your views for the show. So thank you very much, Brother Daniel from Pascagoula. Um, now we're going to kind of pivot uh, uh uh, Adam, we got an email. I told y'all I was going to be checking the email during the break. And we got an email. It was someone who says, uh, hello, my mother has recently had a decline in her mental capacity. And I think a POA will be necessary in the near future if this continues. I know there are free sites online to draft one. But my question is whether they are legal in the state Mississippi, thanks for your help. For one thing, what's a POA? A power of attorney. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, I Thank did. you. I was trying to. Yeah. I was trying. <laughs> That's okay. No, it <laughs> wasn't I, hitting my and, brain. <laughs> and, and I'll say this: uh, my first job was at, uh, at Meredith Coxwell's office at Coxwell Associates, and I got to work with him. He's a great lawyer. Him and Chuck Mullins have done good work over there for years. But um, 
you had to learn to answer that stuff really quickly. I mean, people call all the time with different issues, and I do not pretend to be an expert in the field of powers of attorney, but I can get you where you need to go. I can get you to the right person. <laughs> right, and, and the key is, uh, it, it is, is talking to a lawyer. Yeah. Um, if you want to make sure things are legal, that is the way to go. I, and I hate to oversimplify, mm-hmm. but it's similar to, uh, you know, years ago I was, I was uh, a guest on the show and – uh, someone asked about uh, making their own will and doing these types of things. And my parents had talked about going to uh, a, a box store and getting uh, a disc and mm-hmm. making their own will. And I was like, do you care about the outcome of what you're doing? Do you care? Do you want the people to get what they're supposed to get uh, related to what, what your wishes are? And they were like, yes, very much. And I said, well, then you're going to need to do a little extra. Now, it's 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 tempting to, to, to use things online, and, and I'm not saying that they won't be valid. I don't know. But the best way to find out is to interact with an attorney about it to make sure. And, that, and it's it's such a big deal uh, that you've decided you need to get something and, and go to court or, or file something with the court about it. So let's do it the right way. Instead of seeing the mechanic around the corner, let's go see someone. Yeah, and you know. just bec- just from being aware at MPB with Money Talks, previously heard at 9 a.m. on MPB mm-hmm. Think Radio mm-hmm. on Tuesdays, they've talked about a number of banks just don't take powers of attorney. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, we, we don't claim to give legal advice specifically, but generally, if you have a legal mm-hmm. question, uh, go – to a uh, an attorney, but and that doesn't have to cost money. I, I want everybody yeah. to know this. I mean, yeah, at some point it's going to get complicated enough where you're going to have to get to somebody that's very specialized. But as a general rule, there are volunteer lawyers out there that'll do simple things like that to give you kind of push you in the right direction. That won't cost you an arm and a leg. Now, I'm not trying to push everybody to the volunteer lawyers project, but that's why it's set up for so that we have people have access to that kind of information. Yeah. All right, let's uh we're going to stay on the phones and let's go to Bobby who's called in from Yazoo City. Bobby, we appreciate you calling in. What's your comment or question? I thank you for your time. I have two questions uh concerning medical cannabis. Uh if you have a concealed carry firearm permit, does it affect it? That's a good question. So uh, one of the divisions of the Driver Service Bureau is our gun permits division. Um, and while you can have other issues that might keep you from having a concealed carry permit, that reason alone cannot be the sole basis that we deny someone. So what that means is um, our Mississippi legislature wrote that uh, specifically into the bill uh, and said that this cannot be the only reason that they're done. So, um, so no, it's not going to say – it's not going to prohibit you outright – uh, but it can be a factor that's considered if there are other issues that kind of put you on the on the fence, so to speak. So, circling back to uh, a couple of segments ago, mm-hmm. we're we're going to revisit the uh, 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 side of the road conversation mm-hmm. that you can have with a police officer. To the extent that you're aware, what has changed uh, with medical marijuana mm-hmm. related to uh, it should should a citizen who gets pulled over who has the proper license to have medical marijuana, who has it in the car. We're not talking someone using it. They have it in the car. Should that person pull their card out and show it to the police officer and let them know, I have this in the car? Or is that just like having gone to the pharmacy? Yeah, it's a good question. So I'll tell you what I tell the law enforcement officers from a teaching standpoint. The the medical cannabis, the prescriptions for medical cannabis should not have anything to do with the traffic stop unless they get to the window and smell 
burnt marijuana. Or they get to the window and they think there's an issue with impairment for the driver, right? So it doesn't become a part of the traffic stop at all unless there's something that needs to be delineated specifically for this person to say, hey, we need to make sure that you're okay, right? So I would say that generally a person doesn't have any obligation to tell law enforcement, hey, I have a medical cannabis card. I mean, that's still a that's, that's up to you, you know. But if you feel like you need to tell them because you need to explain why you have this in your purse because it's an issue, then then sure. But that's that shouldn't be a part of the traffic. I do want people to know this. I say this constantly, and I remind people who clutch their pearls when they hear about medical cannabis. Alcohol has been legal for a long time. All right? Alcohol has been out there, and people use it, but we're not allowed to drive under the impairment of that of alcohol, right? We just can't do it. The same thing goes for medical cannabis, right? It's it's regulated. You can have it, but that does not mean you can drive your car after you've done it, right? Do whatever you need to do at your home or wherever you need to do it. But if you get behind the wheel of a car and start driving and you're impaired, you're going to get a DUI. You're going to get arrested, and having a medical cannabis card is not going to be a get-out-of-jail-free card. It, you can, it means you're allowed to possess the substance, but not to dr- not to smoke it and then drive it, drive your vehicle afterwards, because impairment is still going to matter. Bobby, how, uh, did you have a second question? Uh, yes, ma'am. Uh, I, I knew you would be fast. Right, well, here we go. Uh, it, if I have my uh, legal firearm and my legal cannabis, can I have them both on me at the same time? Yeah, I don't know that there's any uh, specific regulation that says you can't have them at the same time. Um but if you're just in the, if it's in your vehicle, obviously you have the right to have your firearm with you, and you have a right to have your prescription medication. And in this case, it would be cannabis, right? I think the issue is: okay. Are you impaired while you have it in your vehicle, and is that an issue that they have to come in contact with? But no, having them in the same vicinity of one another is not going to be per se a violation. It could be. It could be if there are other factors at play. Uh, but I would just say generally that's not the case. The reality is you have a Second Amendment right to have the firearm. And if you have that prescription uh, for cannabis, then you're going to have a legal right to possess that that substance. Thank you, Bobby. Thank you. We are almost out of time. Hey, one thing I wanted to remind folks that did you know that's an election year and we have two weeks until primaries. So February. Well, what? No, no, no. Wait. We had February 12th is the primary election voter registration deadline. So applicants who register in person at the circuit clerk's office on that day and those who mail in registration application postmark no later than February 12th, which is less than two weeks, are eligible to vote on the February 12th, 2024 primary election. So if you... Mississippi, if you want to have a say in who is nominated by one party or the other party, you can't vote in both, or of the four House representative seats or Senator Roger Wicker's seat and the president, you have less than two weeks to get your voter registration in. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for being with us today. Eric, we really appreciate you taking time to join us from the Department of Public Safety. We could have you on every day of the week and twice on Sunday, and I don't think we would cover all of the topics you touch. There's a lot going on. 
That's it. And Adam Kilgore, thank you so much for coming to be with us from the Mississippi Bar. Thank you, Liz Gill. It's always a pleasure. Eric, it was good to see you today. Thank Wonderful you job so much. Today. I appreciate that. We'll have uh, uh, Eric's email information. We'll have the mock trial sign-up information. you got to pay it forward, folks. So if you're an attorney, you want you need to step up. I know it's not any fun, but you got to step up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. That wraps us up for today's In Legal Terms. Our team consists of board engineer and podcast producer Abram Nanny. Our call screener has been Charles Arnold. And Professor Gershon would want us to let you know IRS began taking applications yesterday. This is In Legal Terms. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.